Now it has? Yep. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> uh, this morning, um, our second class in suffering um, and fighting for faith and trial, we're going to be talking about God's revealed purposes in suffering. So those purposes which he has revealed to us in his word. The objective being that we will understand how God can use suffering for our good and for his glory. Now you've likely heard and maybe said yourself while going through a time of suffering or hardship, I don't understand why God would let this happen to me. The question why when you're going through hardship or enduring suffering can be an expression of trust and submission even while you're uncertain about what God's purposes are. It could be that you're seeking to better understand God's ways and that you're searching your own heart. On the other hand, the question why would God let this happen to me can be an unbelieving accusation against God. If God is the loving God that the Bible describes him as, how can he let me suffer this way? We can operate with the idea that unless we understand why, then we don't deserve to suffer, and that somehow God owes us an explanation. But you recall from last week, Desmond helped us to see that the main thrust of the Bible's dealing with suffering is not a call to understand but a call to trust. When it comes to suffering, there is much that has not been revealed to us. Questions about the ultimate cause and origin of evil and suffering can be very difficult to understand and can perplex us. And when it comes to God's purposes in our suffering, the particulars are oftentimes unknown and unknowable. After the fact, and even during suffering, we may detect certain beneficial outcomes. We may be able to trace a bit of God's purposes, but ultimately, his ways are beyond tracing out. And his purposes are beyond understanding. So we're called to live by faith. When life brings things that we don't understand and don't desire. We're called to trust God who understands all and who desires our good and works all things for our good. So the problem of suffering is a big and difficult problem. And we learn from the scriptures that God is good and wise, that he is sovereign and works all things according to his design to the end that his people will dwell with him eternally that we will be conformed to Christ ultimately that we will be free from all suffering and sorrow and pain and from the sin that is the source of all suffering so we're taught who God is and on the basis of that understanding we're called to trust him in the midst of suffering and trial. We're told in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For even as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So our comfort is not how fully we can understand God's purposes, but how fully we can trust our Savior. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So when we talk about understanding God's purposes, we need to be careful not to think that we can know His purposes in any great detail or understand his purposes in any comprehensive manner. We need an attitude of humility, knowing that his purposes are far beyond our comprehension, 
and that his ways are beyond tracing out. <clears throat> but there's something else that we need to be careful about when we're considering a theology of suffering and how we are to endure suffering, and that is the role of faith as we live out our lives as pilgrims in this fallen world. If it were possible to understand fully God's purposes for our particular suffering, what role would faith have? For example, let's say you lost your job. Now that's a particular hardship that under ordinary circumstances no one would choose to endure. But if you knew that you would have a better job next week with better hours, better pay, a better work environment, and that this new job would also provide opportunity for a very fruitful ministry, well, when you lost the job, you might be like, okay, great, let's go. Um, no suffering, no hardship, no faith required. There would also be no humbling of oneself there would be no prayerful dependence on God, no character growth, no glorifying God in the midst of your suffering. So when we talk about God's purposes in our suffering, we need to understand that what we can know about his purposes can never be a substitute for faith. Rather, it's an opportunity to exercise faith, to trust God as he demonstrates his faithfulness and as our own faith is strengthened. So as we talk about these things, we won't be gathering all the answers for God's purposes for our suffering. We won't have a body of knowledge from which we can hypothesize all of God's purposes for a particular trial. Rather, we'll be providing a series of categories to help us understand in general why God allows suffering which can then help us to trust his unknown purposes in our particular suffering. There's one additional thing that we need to be careful about, and that's this, that in understanding in general God's purposes for our suffering, we don't use that understanding to provide easy answers to others in their times of suffering. Generally, it's really not helpful to try to tell people when they're suffering why they would be suffering. In the midst of tragedy, be very careful before you ask, what do you think God is teaching you in this? Which turns their suffering into some kind of riddle to be solved. Be very careful before you say, I understand what you're going through, which, of course, you don't, because every situation has unique complexities. Something as simple um, as a question of how we might pray for them or a word about God's faithfulness and a hug are the best ways to support others when they're suffering. So with these things in mind, uh, we'll begin the rest of our time by considering the claim that the Bible makes that suffering is a gift. And then we'll look at eight different purposes that God in his wisdom has given us for suffering. Look at what Paul writes in Philippians 1.29. And if I can get somebody to read that for us. Anybody? For well, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. Okay, thanks, Will. The word translated granted here means to, to grant graciously um, or to give freely as a gift. Now, we understand from passages like Ephesians 2.8 that faith is a gift given by God to his people in regeneration. We understand that at one time we were dead in our sins and hostile to God, refusing to seek after him. So we understand when Paul says that it has been granted to us to believe, we understand that this is a gracious act, that it is a gift. 
But in the same way, he says that suffering is a gift. It's not just an inevitability. You know, well, we'll all have to endure suffering. It is a gift. So how are we to understand this? What does he mean when he says that it has been granted to us to suffer for him? Why would Paul consider suffering on behalf of Christ to be a gift? And a gift that is tied closely to the gift of faith. Well, you remember in Luke 9.23 that uh, Jesus tells us that if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. In the Roman Empire in the first century, to take up your cross wouldn't mean enduring some minor inconvenience or putting up with some annoying person. It would mean that you're on your way to die. You've taken up the instrument of your own death. When a Christian takes up their cross, they have come to an end of themselves in order to follow Jesus, no matter how costly it might be. But that's the key. We suffer, we sacrifice in order to follow Jesus. Jesus continues in verses 24 and 25 saying, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. Suffering and sacrifice are at the heart of following Christ. But we don't embrace suffering simply for the sake of suffering. As Christians, we embrace loss, hardship, and suffering in order to take hold of what is better. And as I said, We'll look at eight purposes in suffering which God brings into our life for our good that we would take hold of the life that is truly life. So the first revealed purpose that God gives us for our suffering is to increase our holiness. So let's look at uh, Psalm 119.67. And if I can get somebody to read this for us. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Now I keep the word. Thank you. So we see that one of God's purposes in affliction and suffering is to bring us to obey his word or to keep his word in areas where we previously had not been obedient. Maybe in an area that we've been oblivious to or just ignoring. In his kindness and faithfulness, God will sometimes use suffering to get our attention and to wake us up to sin's deception in our lives. We know that for the Christian, suffering is never an indication of God's condemnation for us. Romans 8.1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But suffering can be God's blessing to wake us up from a sinful slumber or complacency. C.S. Lewis describes it this way. He says, pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So God gets our attention in our suffering. And in Hebrews 12.10, we read that God our Father disciplines us through hardship in order that we would share in His holiness. Now the uh, next purpose in suffering to consider is that God brings suffering to build perseverance. And again in Hebrews 12, uh, now in verse 1, 
<clears throat> we read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so easily, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here the Christian life is depicted as a race that requires endurance or perseverance. It's been said many times that it's a marathon. Or as one great book title puts it, it's a long obedience in the same direction. Now I can't tell you that, that it's a great book. I've never read it, but it is a great title. A long obedience in the same direction. <clears throat> and look at what Paul says in Colossians 1.23. We are called to continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Now we can only do that by the preserving grace of God. Our perseverance in obedience is the fruit of God's preserving grace in our lives. But how does God give us this grace to persevere? In 1 Corinthians 10.13 Paul tells us that God will not allow us to be tempted beyond our ability, but will provide a way of escape that we may be able to endure it. But have you ever considered that one way that he does that, a common way that he gives us grace to bear up, to endure under temptation, is not to simply send some mystical strength in the moment, though he will be there to provide strength and to give grace to help in that time of need. But he also works to strengthen our endurance through prior trials. In Romans 5.3, Paul reminds us of this. He says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Suffering produces perseverance or endurance. So suffering through trials in your past has strengthened you for the temptations that you'll face today. And what about the temptations that you'll face a year from now? The trial you may be suffering through now is preparing you to face and to overcome that future trial. We need perseverance to finish the race. And trial and adversity is a major way that God builds our perseverance. Next, we'll look at the idea that we suffer in order to bring us to maturity. When we turn to the letter of James we find the same theme of joyful perseverance when suffering through various trials. <clears throat> if I can get somebody to read James 1, verses 2 and 3 for me. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> so the trials that come are to test our faith and to develop perseverance but perseverance isn't an end in itself he goes on to write perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything <clears throat> that you may be mature and complete over time, as we again and again experience the sufficiency of God's preserving grace, it produces an ever-deepening hope in God. As Paul says, <clears throat> suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Mature character is formed through humble dependence and obedience to God. 
as we continue to persevere, we will increasingly know what it means to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might as we stand firm in the evil day. We will find that His grace is always sufficient because His power is made perfect in our weakness. So do you want to be useful to God? Do you want to have strength of faith? Do you want to be rooted and steadfast in your Christian walk? This happens as we deepen our understanding of God's Word, but not just intellectually. We all know the difference between knowing something in our heads and truly possessing it in our hearts and character, such that it becomes a part of who we are. So we act instinctively on it. And oftentimes, the thing that takes head knowledge of God's Word and causes it to penetrate our hearts, shaping our character, is adversity. Through adversity, we see God's promises tested, and we see His faithfulness prevail. We experience His faithfulness in our lives and know His care for us more personally so that we walk with Him in mature confidence and in steadfast character. Adversity is one of God's primary tools for developing the maturity of His people. Next thing to consider is that He brings suffering One of his purposes is to teach us his word. And here I want to look at Psalm 119, uh, verse 71. And again, if I can have someone read that for us. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Thank you, Forrest. It was good for me to be afflicted. Now that's a mature perspective on suffering. The psalmist sees that it was good for him to be afflicted and the reason is that it caused him to turn to the word of God to learn the decrees of God. So suffering is a means that God uses to bring us to a deeper understanding of the scriptures. And one reason this is so is because suffering has a way of softening our hearts, of humbling us and showing us our weakness and our need so that we're ready to really hear and really understand God's Word. As Richard Baxter put it, suffering so unbolts the door of the heart that the Word has easier entrance. It's one thing to read about God's comfort. It's quite another thing to experience it. And if you've experienced suffering as a Christian, then you know how true that is and how the scriptures are often illumined to you in some of the darkest of times. So God can use hardship and suffering to teach us His Word, but it doesn't happen automatically. And this is why James, after telling us to count it all joy when we face various trials of various kinds, he tells us... um, and encourages us to ask God for wisdom who gives generously to all without finding fault. And he promises that we will receive the wisdom that we ask for. So times of trial teach us God's word. And so we should ask him for wisdom in the midst of it that we would understand his word in its application to our situation. Um, in Deuteronomy 8, 2 and 3, um, here we have uh, Moses delivering this message to the Israelites as they're ready to enter into the land. And um, here he's reminding them of their time through the wilderness and the purpose for that, at least one purpose. And while I won't read the whole thing, it says that he brought them into the wilderness to humble them, to test them. And then it says, 
that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, so their testing and their humbling in their wilderness was that they would come to know how totally dependent they are on God's holy word. <clears throat> Next, I uh, want to consider that we endure suffering to help us to encourage and to comfort others. And here in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, uh, we see that. If I can have somebody read that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Thanks, Kyle. So not only does God comfort us in our afflictions, which is itself an unspeakable blessing, but he comforts us so that we can comfort others in their afflictions. Suffering and affliction <clears throat> might make a promise of Scripture come alive to us, uh, which we can then share for the encouragement of others. It might give us a more compassionate heart for those who are undergoing affliction. <clears throat> We might encourage others by our own experience of suffering, reminding them that they're not alone in suffering and that God is faithful. And notice uh, the word any here. It says, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. We shouldn't be reluctant to comfort others when their particular suffering isn't something that we've endured. It's something we've never personally experienced. That shouldn't stop us. <clears throat> so while we shouldn't say, again, I know what you're going through, we can seek to help them because we have known the comfort of God in our own affliction. And we have learned from His Word and we can share their sorrow while we share with them God's comfort and God's Word. Another purpose that God is, has in our suffering is to wean us off of self-reliance. And if I can have somebody read 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 and 9. Thanks, bro. <clears throat> that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. In one sense, this is a summation of the Christian life and the goal of the Christian life. God found us dead in sin and raised us to life. And the Christian life is one of continually putting to death the remaining sin by the power of the Spirit as we walk in the Spirit who gives life. As we said earlier, it is taking up our cross daily. Our one, and one sin that clings tightly and that repeatedly needs to be put to death is self-reliance. When we think we understand and we think we can handle it, we think we've got it under control, then we rely on our own understanding, our own strength, our own wisdom and plan. And so we live as though we don't need God. Suffering has a way of breaking in on that delusion and revealing how deeply dependent we really are. John Piper writes, I have never heard anyone say 
the really deep lessons of life have come through times of ease and comfort. But I have heard strong saints say, every significant advance I have ever made in grasping the depths of God's love and growing deep with him has come through suffering. Part of our aversion to adversity and suffering is the sense of loss of control. And usually we just want to get to the other side of our suffering where we can have a sense of normalcy and control again. In other words, suffering causes us to have to walk by faith, but we're eager to get to the place where we can comfortably walk by sight. And we end up trying to flee the very thing that God is doing in our suffering. That is to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So in trial, remember that God has brought you here by his wisdom. And he will uphold you by his strength and will carry out his purpose for his glory and for your good. Rely on him and walk by faith. Next, God brings suffering to strengthen our assurance. Now, in hearing this, you might think that rather than strengthening your assurance, suffering might threaten to undermine your confidence in Christ. But look at what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Suffering does not mean that God is against us. It is those whom God loves, those who are heirs of salvation. It is those that our Heavenly Father disciplines through hardships and brings through many tribulations. And how we endure these deepens our confidence that we are His and that He upholds us. A mark of true conversion is not an initial profession of faith, but that we persevere in the faith. A person may profess to be a Christian for many flawed reasons and many false motives and yet never be converted. But suffering tests the genuineness of our faith. It proves and purifies genuine faith so that the believer can be confident in their hope and rejoice in their trials. We get somebody to read 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, please. next uh, purpose then for which God brings suffering is to magnify and glorify God. So how is God glorified in suffering? Well, in, in many ways. In fact, in all the things we've discussed already, God is glorified. As we grow in holiness, God is glorified. As we mature in the faith and grow in his word, He's glorified. As we persevere, he's glorified. As we depend upon him and he shows himself strong and faithful, he's glorified. As his comforting presence is communicated to comfort others, he is glorified and in many ways besides. But I want us to focus on one particular aspect of how God is glorified in our suffering, and that is 
when in the midst of and, in, and despite our suffering, in affliction, in loss, in sorrow, we find satisfaction and sufficiency in Christ. When suffering for God and for His purposes is desired above our own comfort, above prosperity and popularity, above worldly wealth and pleasures, God is glorified. And Moses is a great example of this, as we read about in Hebrews 11, verses 24 to 26, if someone would read that for us. Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ's greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Amen. Moses knew that whatever the world could offer, it falls immeasurably short of Christ. Even if he could gain the whole world, the value of Christ, even the reproach of Christ, is far greater. When we live this way like Moses, like Job, we demonstrate that our obedience and thanksgiving and praise to God is not because of the worldly benefits that we receive, but God himself is our reward. In his first epistle, Peter, writing to believers who are undergoing much suffering for Christ, he knew that as Christians suffer and joyfully endure because of the hope that they have in Christ, people would notice and inquire as to where their hope comes from. And so he wrote in 1 Peter 3.15 these familiar words, But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And the ultimate answer is that our hope is grounded in Christ and his sufficient work on our behalf by which we have been reconciled to God. Our hope is not in anything that the world has to offer. Our hope is in God. He is our reward. He is our inheritance. As Asaph writes in Psalm 73 verses 25 and 26, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Our hope, our reward, our satisfaction is in God alone. He is our portion. So in our suffering, God gives us himself. He gives us his presence. He gives us his comfort. He gives us his strength. He gives us his wisdom. He gives us his love. He brings us to share in his holiness. In all of these ways and many more, suffering is a gift. It's given to us for our good to bring us to God. So just a few uh, concluding thoughts then. Even though the Bible's answer to suffering is primarily one of faith rather than understanding, the Bible still gives us many examples of how God works through suffering. And as we consider each of these purposes, knowing that these eight are just the beginning, we should be overwhelmed at God's mercy 
in turning our suffering to such good ends. So just two final thoughts for you. First, remember that your lack of understanding is in no way a reason not to trust. Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. We can trust God because He has revealed who He is, not because He explains every detail of what He's doing. So use these purposes for suffering as a reason to trust, not as a substitute for trusting. God's revealed purposes for suffering help us recognize the good that <clears throat> excuse me the good that he has worked through past suffering which then helps us to trust him in the future and while we may not be able to look at present difficulty and identify with specificity God's purposes the breadth and specificity of these categories certainly helps us to trust that even if we are blind to it, God is using it for our good. And finally, let this be a cause for praise. It's a great blessing how much God has told us about his purposes in suffering. He understands our weakness and he has lavished his mercy on us through his word to help us to trust him when times are hard and beyond our ability to understand or endure. He is never limited by our circumstances or our weakness. His infinite wisdom guides all his works. None can stop him from accomplishing all of his good purposes, which he's working for us. So praise God for all that he's revealed to us in his word. So that is what I have prepared for this morning. Are there any questions? Good. Everybody has all the answers to suffering. Perfect. Yes, Will. So at the beginning you said the danger is um, you're not to sorry some people okay with like, you know, why are you going through this? Why do you think you're going through this? Um, but it seems like these are, you know, these reveal purposes are some things that we could point them to pretty helpfully. So we could say, you know, maybe God is trying to teach you or trying to bring you to maturity or trying to teach you perseverance or, I don't know, it, it's, yeah. is that okay? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, I think, you know, on some level it depends on what the suffering is, you know, what somebody's undergoing at the time. Um, I think what we want to avoid trying to do, and the, the purpose of that warning, um, is is trying to um, come up with, you know, specifically, you know, you're enduring this because of that, you know, because of whether it's pointing to some behavior or some sin. I mean, there are cases where where that would be appropriate, you know, um, but in general terms. Um, we shouldn't be seeking to give them an understanding of the specific reason they're suffering as much as pointing them to God who, who has multiple purposes. I mean, even if we can identify sometimes a purpose or, or a reason, um, God has a multiplicity of, of purposes and um, I do think we want to, yes, point people to God, point to what God does generally in, in suffering, um, but, but not in a way that uh, is supposed to solve their problem. Like, if we give them this information, that'll make it, you know, make it better. Or, uh, so mostly, yeah, pointing them to God and who he is um, and his character and his general purposes but um, you know like yes God wants us to share in his holiness uh, but that doesn't mean we can point to a particular sin that 
you know, that this suffering is meant to correct. Um, so, does that help? Yeah. Okay. Any other questions? Lawrence. Yeah, I'm having a hard time hearing it. It was uh, R.C. Sproul yesterday in his message had mentioned that uh, a, a passage about Jacob when the sons came back with the grain the first time and found the money in their sentence. And when they realized that Simeon was being held and they, because he wanted Benjamin to, to, to go back. So in Jacob, he was grieving the loss of Joseph. He was grieving the loss of Simeon. And he was looking towards the potential of the loss of his other son. That's a great example, certainly of our limited understanding, um, even while we may be grieving um, intensely over something. That's helpful. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, I think that's, that's good. I think we should have a, a, a settled, a humble perspective that, you know, we, we know our, our perspective is limited. And it's certainly right to pray for things that we see as good, and we, we should be doing that. Um, but that if we don't receive those, um, we know it's still good because God sees what we, what we don't see. Um, I'm thinking of Paul, you know, with his thorn in the flesh. He prayed repeatedly that it would be removed. He was suffering. He was enduring affliction, and he wanted to be relieved of it. And it was right for him to request that God remove it. Um, But ultimately, the blessing to Paul's life was that God was present with him in strength um, and in grace, where Paul himself was weak and needy. And, uh, And that was the answer. So... Good. Yes, one last question. A lot of people got got it wrong throughout that process, didn't they? Um, yeah, that's good, and I think um, I think that's right. Uh, ultimately, you know, everybody knows Romans eight twenty eight that God works all things for the good of those who love Him and who are called 
according to his purpose. Um, we can trust that promise, but he also tells us what that good is that he's working out, and that is our ultimate conformity to Christ. And um, that's, that's where our focus needs to be, regardless of what we're, we're enduring. Um, we should seek to draw close to, to God in faith and trusting in him and um, letting him work in our lives through his word, by his spirit, to conform our character to Christ, to, um, to wean us off our self-dependence and, you know, all, all of these things. But ultimately it is being drawn to God in Christ, being transformed by his spirit into the image of Christ, being uh, less dependent on ourselves and less attached to this world and more conformed to Christ in the world to come. So um, I think keeping that big picture in mind is exactly what we, what we need to do. With that, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Our Father, we do thank you that it is you who knows all things and it is you who knows what is our good and it is you who is working all things to that end. And you have called us for that very purpose, that we would be conformed to the likeness of your Son, that we would come to share in your holiness, that ultimately we would come to dwell in your presence that we would be freed from sin Father we pray that this would be what we pursue each day of our lives in the midst of plenty or in want and Lord that um, knowing what we have been given in Christ Lord that we would be eager and ready and active in sharing that with others who desperately need that hope as well. Now as we gather together with the rest of the saints for worship, Lord, we pray that you would be with us, that you would help us, Father, to to worship you in a way that is pleasing to you that you help us to see Christ in your word and Lord that you uh, would just be present to bless your people through the preaching of your word through the participation in the supper and through our time together in fellowship. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.